This is the Two-Tone Uncensored Podcast. Hosts Matt McCrone, Brian Moreland, and Glenn Lotzenheiser talk everything Tennessee Titans. This show is made for the fans of Bleed Two-Tone Blue. Hey, this is Kevin Dyson, former Tennessee Titan, and you're listening to Two-Tone Uncensored. Welcome to Two-Tone Uncensored. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Moreland. With me, as always, tonight, Matt Necrone. And guys, get ready for the homer that is Matt Necrone tonight. How you doing, Matt? It's a good night to be here. We're talking Clemson. We've got a special guest coming on. I'm actually going to lay back, let him lay the wood, and I'm going to throw my two cents in here and there, but... You guys are about to get taught some Clemson football. Okay, Matt. Um, there's a Lifestyles website you should probably go be on instead of a <laughs> podcast, but okay. <laughs> All right, and you're also hearing the man of a million <laughs> nicknames, Glenn Lotzenheiser. How are you doing tonight, Glenn? This is a judgment-free zone here. Man of a thousand nicknames. Tonight it's douchebag. That's fair. A million, a million nicknames. You're cutting the legs off that. All right, before we jump into the mailbag, as Matt alluded to, we have the last college profile that we're going to do this year, and that is of the defending champion, Clemson Tigers. Uh, we have a special guest coming on with us later in the show, and you'll be able to hear all that. And also, before we jump into the mailbag, I know that most of our fans obviously come from the Tennessee area in Nashville, so shout out to the Predators and the Grizzlies, both in the playoffs right now. Predators have a 3 nothing lead over the number one seed Chicago Blackhawks and looking to complete the sweep on Thursday night. Grizzlies not faring as well down two games to none to the Spurs, looking to bounce back also on Thursday night. So shout out to some Tennessee teams doing some big things. So let's jump into the mailbag, guys. First one up here is Joe Markin. He says, with Tony Romo retiring, and obviously he was the Texans' go-to guy there for a while, do you think the Texans will try to draft a first-round quarterback? Or do you think they'll probably stick with Tom Savage? Or do you think they could probably make a play for someone that's still out there in free agency? Their only hope, I think, is to uh, go free agent. Uh, Tom Savage is probably not going to be able to carry them through the season. Um, there's a chance they draft somebody just to you know, give him some competition, but I don't think there's a quarterback in this draft that you could start this year. So probably they keep searching the market for somebody they can trade for, but I don't know if it's going to happen, and that's all right by me. No, if you ask me, I say they take a QB in the first round this year. I pray to God it's not Deshaun Watson. Um, I've heard they like Patrick Mahomes, which is fine by me. Obviously, he's not somebody you can plug in right away and start, but I do think that Tom Savage will probably get maybe half the year under his belt. He won't be able to do it, and then they'll they'll bring in whoever else, whoever they draft. But there's really no one in free agency at the moment. Um, I know they're not really interested in Kaepernick, and he's probably the best available. So I'm going to go ahead and say they, they draft one early. It's, a, it's tough, man, because this – Quarterback draft class is not that great. There's a couple guys that I think will be, you know, middle of the road. Um, average is kind of what their ceiling looks like in the NFL. Uh, and then you have some names, you know, Kaepernick, like you just mentioned, Matt. Jay Cutler's still out there. Those are possibilities, but it's, you know, is that that much of an improvement 
over, you know, Tom Savage or someone that you draft, you know, is getting a guy later in his career that hasn't shown promise in, in Jay Cutler, uh, or at least consistent promise, and, you know, Kaepernick, who seems completely a boom or bust player with a lot more bust than boom. Um, you know, you could go draft a guy. They're a little bit later in the draft, but like I said, this is a weaker draft class, so they sh- should still be able to get uh, a top three, four guy at QB. I don't see a lot of QBs going in this first round. I would lean towards what Matt said, and that's going for one in the in the draft rather than trying to reinvent one of these quarterbacks that are still free agents. Yeah, I actually read the other day uh, Cutler's contemplating retirement right now anyway, so I think he would rather retire than go to the Texans, but, I mean, we'll see about that. I, I don't think he's got much left in the tank anyway. He's got way too high interception ratio, but, you know, I think he's probably about done. I think he's contemplating retirement because he realizes that nobody's interested. He's not getting the calls, kind of getting forced out the door. Yeah, unless he's going to play for nothing. He's going to have a hard time finding a job this year. Why why would you take him to rebuild your team around? I mean, unless someone drafts a a young quarterback that they don't want to start this year, there's no reason to pick him up. If if you draft a young young quarterback, then you can bring him in, start him out, you know, in the season and hopefully get that rookie in there halfway through the year. Absolutely. All right, guys, let's move on to the next one in the mailbag. Good friend of the show, Morocco Taylor, asks, is there anybody in this draft that is your can't-miss, can't-pass-on player for number five and number 18, assuming that we don't trade back? Is there a player for each pick that you, you just have to take him there? No, I don't think there is. There is probably 10 to 12 elite-level players in here. And most of those guys, you know, are going to be available at five, obviously. And any of them will improve this team. I mean, you could go inside linebacker, you could go corner, you could go safety, you could go wide receiver. And so there's a there's that that, that five spot. There's enough talent there that I don't think you're stuck to any one guy. But like we discussed last week, we probably trade back from there. And I want to stay in the top ten because, like I said, it's probably about ten elite level players. I think if we go to 12, we're missing out. But if someone trades up to get a quarterback, someone else will drop down to us at that point. Um, at 18, you got another you know group. Once you get to about 20, I think the you know 20 to 40, they're all about the same level of guy. Uh, there's not a lot of difference in the quality of those guys. But I think more likely we trade back from the top spot for sure. 18, I. I'm not sure that we trade back from that one. I think we hang on to it. We just use that top spot to trade back and get a second-round pick, too. Yeah, to answer the question, I say no. But I think that depending on how far we do trade back, that could all depend on what kind of value we get. I mean, if we do go outside the top 10 and just say 12, uh, we might get that 33rd pick. So, I mean, the further you go back, the more value you're actually going to get. Now, when you get to 18, it's a little bit trickier. I think that... There's probably going to be guys that are of equal value, like Glenn said, um, you know, from 18 to 25. So I think if we can still get something worth it to us, you know, at that point, then I'm okay with trading back on both picks, to be honest with you. Yeah, first to address the question, I think there are guys uh, at both places that are, are absolutely can't miss, but neither of them are going to be realistic pickups. You know, Miles um, Garrett's absolutely can't miss at five. You know, we heard. Last week, Greg Arias came on the show, and he talked about it. 
The Titans have already said, absolutely, if he's there, we are taking him at five. We're not trading back. But he's not going to be there. You know, he's not going to be at pick two, let alone pick five. Uh, and then there's a handful of guys at 18, but they're all not going to be there again. You know, guys like the safeties, uh, Adams and Hooker, you know, there's there's some guys like that that are going to go in the top ten. And if somehow, you know, they slid back, if maybe if they get the old gas mask bong on or something like that, and they slip back, then, yeah, absolutely, you take them at 18. But I just I don't think that any of those guys are going to fall that far. Um, as for trading, I think that it's very possible. You know, again, what Greg Gary said last week, very possible we trade both picks. But I think right now, from all that I've heard, I think that the 18 is more likely to stay in our possession than the 5 is. All right, guys, next question here from Will Rush. <clears throat> so far right now, we have eight picks coming up in the draft. How many picks do you think we end up taking by the time it's all said and done? Nine or ten, probably. Unless they combine some picks to move up somewhere into the second round. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't really give a number, but nine or ten is probably fair. I, I, it all depends, really, on if it, if it's the fifth pick. I do think, even if it is, you know, back to nine or ten, or even anywhere from twelve to thirteen, we're going to get our value moving back that far. So that's that's pretty much, in my eyes, more realistic than maybe trading back at you know, seven or eight, something like that. So I don't know that we'll necessarily have to trade back to get into the second round because I, I think with the fifth pick, unless there's somebody there that they have to take, which I, I hope it's not Lattimore because he probably will be there. Um, I wouldn't be upset that we take Lattimore, but I do think there's so much more value trading back and, and getting more guys because this class is so deep that, that I truly believe we can – basically cash in on, on every pick that we have. So the more the merrier, but I'll go ahead and say 9 or 10. I'm going a little lower than you guys. I'm going to say 7 to 9 because I do think we'll trade back in the first round. But also, uh, you know, we've seen the one draft that we've seen from Robinson. He traded back, but he also traded up in that draft. And I think you'll see him do something similar to that. Uh, so I think we're going to come in almost exactly where we're at right now with those eight picks because I do expect us to trade back, but it wouldn't surprise me if later on in the draft we trade back up. Uh, in order to get somebody. So I think it'll probably work out about the same that we have right now. Let me ask you guys this. Would it be worth it to you, let's just say hypothetically, we keep five, we keep 18, but we trade our two-thirds to get back up into the, like the late second? Is that something you'd be interested in? I mean, that that's kind of tough. It, I guess it would really depend who's there. Um, and, you know, it would be my preference then. It wouldn't be a value thing because value tells you that third round picks become stars and become good starters just as often as second round picks do almost exactly the same odds so value wise no but there are some guys that I think are going to go in the second round that I think are going to be you know young stars in the making as we were talking about it is a deep draft I would say yes if there's some guys there that I like that I think have future star potential that are not going to make it to the third round but value wise tells you no yeah, I would rather have those second-round picks. Uh, that's why I think they do trade the first. Once you start getting into the third round, you know, we've already got two picks. I could see us trading that third to move up into the second. I just I don't know how much he's going to give away because it seems like the whole year all the talk was that we want to get back into the second round. So the fact that we gave up that pick this year makes that third-round pick more likely to get moved if we can't trade that first-round pick back. All right, let's move on to the next one here. Uh, this one from Tyler Musson. 
And he's asking, are there any players between the 6th pick and the 18th pick that you think are going to go somewhere in that area that you could possibly see a value for trading up um, from 18 more towards our first pick in order to get? And if so, who is that player? I don't see that player. I don't know that. I mean, it's hard to say until it actually you know goes down, but... Going by, you know, where we think guys are going to go, I wouldn't say that there's anybody that you would have. You'd probably have to give up way too much to jump up. So, I mean, it, if it's me, I'm saying no. Yeah, I agree with Matt 100%. I'm going to third this one. Yeah, there, there, you only really trade up that high in the first round if you need a quarterback or if there's somebody that you think absolutely can't miss player at a valued position like a, a defensive end, for instance. And we don't need a quarterback, and I don't think there's anybody that's going to be in that group that is absolutely can't miss. Uh, so, no, I, I agree that I don't think there's anybody to trade up for but in those spots. Last question here, this one from Sonny Ali to wrap up our mailbag. If you could interview any Titan that's currently on the roster for the show, who would it be and why? Well, I've said before Delaney Walker. We've answered, answered that one a couple times. Uh, Delaney Walker, I think, would give you the most – real interview as far as he's going to tell you exactly what's on his mind. Uh, I think DeMarco Murray would also give you that quality of a uh, interview. Mariota would be the easiest uh, answer just because everybody wants to talk to the quarterback, but I don't know that he would be as candid with you and tell you as much fun stuff as those other two guys would. Mariota was the, the first instant answer I thought of, but he'd be, he'd honestly be really dull and I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to bring, I'd bring him on obviously, but my first choice would be Taylor Lewan, uh, obviously for for all the reasons that we already know about him. I've heard many interviews with him, and he's obviously a, a character to say the least. He he's by far the guy I'd bring on. Hi, you guys like read my mind there together. I was going to say if you like for real information for good stuff, good talkable topics that you're going to get the most out of the player. You know, you go with Walker. And if you just want a fun, exciting, you know, possibly weird interview, Ben Jones or Taylor Lewan, you know, it'd be a blast to interview Taylor Lewan because of his personality and Ben Jones for the same reason, just because they're they're out there, they're charismatic, they're funny guys. Um, Delaney Walker, like he says, what's in his mind? He doesn't hold anything back. He doesn't pull any punches. So obviously, that would be a fun interview as well. Would probably if I could had to narrow it down to one, it'd probably Lewan because just how fun the interview would be yeah listen i love marcus but i've heard interviews with him before and they'll put you to sleep he's not anybody you want to you're going to get excited over i mean obviously talent wise he's he's great i love having him as the quarterback i wouldn't have it any other way right now but we're talking interviews we're not talking talent yeah i mean he's the the great thing about him as a player is that he's so calm and so even you know keeled but that's a terrible interview just, you want a guy who's going to give you a good sound bite, who's going to have some energy, who's not afraid to piss some people off. And all those other guys, they, they got no problem saying whatever's on their mind. You know, they're, they're not worried about hurting somebody's feeling. Marcus is a leader. He's got to be everybody's leader. So he can't go out there and start ripping people. He can't go out there and tell you bad things about people. He can't call somebody out. So he won't be that fun of an interview, you know, just because he's too professional and then he's also – too even-headed to give us that kind of fun. Another guy you could probably throw on that list, too, uh, Jarrell Casey. He's another guy that 
uh, says what is on his mind. He's a quieter guy, but you know he never pulls any punches. He says what he believes too. Um, yeah, Arakbo would be awesome too. Oh, absolutely! Just for the energy level that Arakbo has mm-hmm. in his interviews. But that's all we have for the mailbag. Thanks for everybody that sent them in. Now, last week, obviously, we didn't have a mailbag, so we're you know getting caught up on everything. Uh, be sure to send those in on our Facebook page at Two Tone Podcast, or you can just join the Tennessee Titans Uncensored Facebook fan page. Uh, if you aren't already, this is not just the only reason to join. It's a great page, the best Titans fan page, uh, and that's official. You can put the rubber stamp on that. That is a fact. It's just science. So definitely join that uh, and look out for the mailbag posts where you can comment, get your questions answered live on the show. So let's move on to the news here, guys. This finally, you know, we're drudging through the offseason. We never have any good news. And finally this week we have some newsworthy stuff to talk about. So first thing I wanted to bring up here, obviously big news coming out this week. Uh, The team and Jason McCourty tried to renegotiate his contract. It just wasn't happening. They, They could not reach a similar number. So Jason McCourty was cut after being with the team for, I believe, eight years uh, what is your guys' reaction to this? I'm sad to see him go. Um, I think it was the right move. We've all talked about how the last couple of years he can't really stay healthy. He, he looks like he's lost a step. He wore down throughout the season. Uh, we, we know he wasn't the future of that position. I would have liked to have him for at least another year while we you know bring a rookie in and groom him because I, I don't think he did enough with Logan Ryan to solve our problems in secondary. So injecting a, a rookie in there, even with LaShawn Sims, it's going to be a rough year for our secondary again. Uh, we have high hopes. We'll see what happens in the draft and what happens after the draft for that matter. But I hate to see him go. Uh, I wish him the best. One of the things I heard was that he refused to move to safety, which is a move that we've talked about on this show plenty of times, uh, that we think he'd be a really good safety, but he doesn't feel like he's done at corner yet. Um, I'm curious to see if he doesn't wind up on the uh, Patriots and go play with his brother for a couple of years. Yeah, that's Got to be a done deal already. I think he's going to New England for sure. I would have liked to keep him another year, just like you, you said. Um, it makes sense for everybody that he he didn't stick around. I think he deserves to make his money wherever he plays. He's He's been a great player for us um, on some really bad teams. He's a great locker room guy. You know, a lot of people have mixed mixed opinions about him as far as his, his play right now or lately the last year or two. Injury has definitely been an issue, uh, but, but you know, he's a solid guy. And, and besides maybe Logan Ryan right now, he would have been the best corner on the, on the team. It sucks that he couldn't stick around another year, but I, I'm definitely not mad at him. It's kind of like the Michael Griffin situation, only, you know, I feel like I was a little bit closer with McCourty than I was Griffin to see those guys go. Uh, Griffin obviously didn't work out in, in Minnesota. I'm, I'm hoping McCourty can at least get another couple years, hopefully in New England, man. I, I'm not hating on that. I'd, I'd, I'd actually like to see that happen. He's been a soldier, and, you know, for as bad as we've been all the years he's been on the team, he was a, what was he, a late sixth round, seventh round pick. Um, he's he's definitely paid his dues here, and, and I'm rooting for him wherever he goes. Yeah, you guys both put that really well. Um, sad to see him go because it's a, it's a guy that, you know, when we were at our worst, he was still playing hard each and every game. And, you know, a guy that was really easy to like. And, you know, a really, really fantastic football player that, you know, played his heart out for this team. I would have liked to keep him on because of his talent level, like you guys said, but just not at that $7 million. Uh, that I thought was 
I thought we did what was right here, you know, for the team. The one thing I don't like about this is it does put more pressure on us in the draft that we need to get a cornerback early. I think if we keep him, it takes a little bit of that pressure off. Uh, you know, and we can focus on some other areas. But with him not there, it's going to put a little bit more pressure. But I like like I said, we made the right move here and, and cutting him because he wasn't going to get to the price point that we needed him to get at in order to stay on this team. And move on to the next piece of news here. Some guys that did agree to pay cuts, Denoris Searcy and Harry Douglas take pay cuts to stay with the team. Douglas went from 3.75 million a year to 1.75 with incentives. Sorry, Searcy takes a 2.25 million dollar pay cut going from 5.62 million to 3.4 million. What do you guys think about these guys taking pay cuts? Well, that was the only way Douglas was staying on the roster. Um, basically veteran minimum kind of money is what he's talking about now. He's not going to get those incentives. There's almost zero chance that he's involved enough to hit any kind of a reasonable incentive deal. Cersei, I talked about that already, and we've mentioned before that uh, he's expensive for what we're going to get out of him, given that he's probably not our starter anymore. Once we signed Cyprian, I think the writing was on the wall that if he wanted to be on this team, he was going to take less money or we were going to cut him. When you cut McCordy, you look at these two guys, it's pretty easy to... Imagine us cutting them, too. So I'm not surprised with either deal. I, I think both of them add some quality depth, and at that price point, I don't mind it. So I, I'm glad they kept them both around just for the money that we signed them at. Yeah, I think both players, uh, if they didn't take their cuts, would have been on the street. I, I said that last week and a couple weeks ago with uh, Denora Cersei. I think now that you know he, t- he took the cut, he's great depth. I think that's going to help us out a lot. As far as Harry Douglas goes, you know, this still doesn't necessarily guarantee his roster spot. So, you know, I'm not really up or down on that move. It's it's good that he's willing to renegotiate. You know, he's a team player. I honestly don't think that he would go anywhere else and uh, put himself in a better situation than where he is here, being that we're so thin at receiver uh, at the moment. But, you know, he could surprise us. You know, he's, he's not going to light anybody up at 32 years old, but. He could be, you know, reliable Harry Douglas. He he made some plays last year. As far as, you know, Denora Cersei seeing any starting playing time, I don't see that happening. But I do think that, you know, he the fact that he was willing to take that cut shows that he's willing to uh, be a part of this team, and, and that's important, and we need guys like that to, to step up and, and take the sacrifice. Yeah, I mean, it tells you that this is a team on the rise because if we were – Coming off of a two-win season, we looked like garbage. You don't take a pick up to stay on that bad of a team. You're like, cut me, please. Absolutely. Um, you know, me and Matt were talking before the show started about uh, Harry Douglas, and both of us agreed that this is a guy that still doesn't have a great shot of making the final roster. I like Harry Douglas, and like like Matt said, he came out and he made plays when we needed him to in, in certain spots last year. Made some big plays when we needed him to. And he's a guy that's really easy to like. He's got a great work ethic, you know, pretty quiet guy, does what he's supposed to do. Uh, but still, you know, it's this makes him obviously more keepable. But, you know, when push comes to shove, he's probably the first guy out of the door if we need someone uh, to free up some space at the wide receiver core. Cersei, um, you know, we move around our safeties a lot. We like to get a lot of different guys involved. So he'll still see, I believe – in my opinion, he'll still see a decent chunk of playing time this year. I don't think he'll start at all, but we like to move around a lot at safety spot, and I think you're going to see him get some playing time. 
you know, here and there. But I'm glad to see both of these guys, you know, do what's right for the team and really know their own value. It's really hard for anybody, and it's not, you know, just being in the NFL, but it's really hard to be honest about what your value is um, in any situation, and it's it's hard to go down instead of going the opposite direction. So, you know, hats off to them for realizing what their value is and being, like Glenn said, team players and taking these pay cuts. You know, I completely forgot uh, the situation with Harry Douglas and Chris Harris from Denver. <clears throat> you talked about how he's such a nice guy and everybody likes him, but <laughs> when when he made that, that dirty play, so to speak, uh, you know, there was a lot of controversy surrounding him at that point. But my theory was, you know, well, it doesn't matter. He won't be on the team next year. But, now, you know, look at him now, ready to claim a spot on the roster. So we'll see how it goes. But I don't think, I don't think he's a dirty player. I just think that that play was – I don't know, probably unnecessary, but nonetheless, he did it, he did it and uh we'll probably hear about it this year as well. He got into their head and we won that game, so I see it as a plus, dirty or not. <laughs> I liked it. <laughs> and it led to one of the greatest pictures of all time of Avery Williamson tossing <laughs> taking the trash out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, taking the trash I mean, out. That, that that's such an iconic picture at this point. I mean, that, that picture's probably going to be on his Hall of Fame poster. Just get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, next piece of news, some good news here. Marcus Mariota was interviewed this week and said he should be able to run at full speed in just two to three weeks here. Coaches are still saying that they'll likely see more of Matt Castle during the the training camp uh, in mini camps just to be on the safe side. Uh, But this is good news to see that Mariota is coming back so quickly. We better see a shitload of Castle. I don't want Mariota doing anything until it's time. We're rushing that guy around. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. There's nothing to add. I mean, it's great news, obviously. Just just keep him healthy and uh, don't rush him back. All right, guys, last piece of news we have here before we head into the break. Derrick Henry misses a voluntary workout. Derrick Henry missed it because he is taking spring classes at the University of Alabama trying to finish off his degree. Uh, you know, there has been definitely a mixed reaction about this. I wanted to read to you guys what Jarrell Casey had to say on Derrick Henry missing this voluntary workout. We were just talking about how Casey's one of those guys that says what is on his mind. Uh, this is his direct quote. It definitely puts that little check mark in the back of my mind and lets me know who I can count on and who I can't count on. To see your teammates show up is definitely great. So that's what Casey had to say on you know the the second year running back missing the first voluntary workout of the year. What'd you guys think about this? My first reaction is shut the fuck up. It's practice. It's preseason. It's not even preseason actually, and it's voluntary. You know, just the biggest deal has been made out of this for nothing. So shut up, people. Shut up. But also, I don't know that the teammates understood that he was at school, you know, bettering himself, getting his degree which I'm sure he promised himself or somebody else that he was going to do. He, if you're going to miss practice, that's the best possible reason you could be missing practice for. And it is just practice. I, I get it. But he's the backup running back. He's got a bright future ahead of him. This doesn't mean a damn thing. Yeah, I'm glad that it was something like, you know, he's going to class. I don't know why they didn't just – I guess it's really nobody's business because it is voluntary <laughs> practice. But making it clear before – you know, the news hit that he didn't show, like it seemed like he wasn't a team player. It was all blown out of proportion. The best thing that happened with this is that uh, 
Paul Kaharski ended up getting blocked on Twitter from Derrick Henry and basically made a post about it that I saw today on Facebook. So uh, that puts Derrick Henry up like at least 10 points in my book. So, <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, like you guys said, it's not a big deal. When you start missing mandatory workouts, mandatory practices, um, that's when you know you start to worry about a guy. But it's a voluntary workout. I do, I, however, I do like what Casey had to say. Kind of, he, you know, tactfully told him, you know, let him know. Because you know that Derrick Henry's going to see this. And he knows that, Jarrell Casey does. You know, he, he tactfully let him know, you know, this team, like, you need to be here. This, this team's headed for great things, and we need 100% out of you, and we're not getting 100% right now. Now, I, I don't find a, a, any issues with Derrick Henry missing this voluntary practice so he can get his degree and, like Glenn said, better himself. Um, but I do like, you know, veterans when they come out and, and kind of tell the young guys that, you know, it's 100% is what we expect and 100% is what we're going to, to get out of you. I like the way that uh, Jarrell Casey handled that. And he wasn't, you know, an ass about it. He wasn't calling him out. He wasn't uh, making him look bad. He, but, he, you know, he just put it tactfully, like, you know, hey, young guy, you need to be here. You know, I like the way that Jarrell Casey handled it, but I, I don't have a problem with Derrick Henry missing this in order to to finish off his degree. All right, that's all we have for the news this week. We're going to go into a quick commercial break. When we come back, as promised, a special guest coming on the show with us, and we are going to talk about uh, this Clemson Tigers team and the great uh, draft class that they have coming out. A lot of potential Titans, uh, as we've talked about before on the show, and we'll definitely get into that when we come back after this break. Time to pay the bills. Some quick ads and we'll get right back to the show. Hey Titans fans, you've probably heard us talk about the group page several times on this show and I'm sure you're wondering what we're talking about. Tennessee Titans Uncensored is a Facebook group page that was built by Titans fans for Titans fans and was founded by our very own Matt Necrone. If you're a Titans fan that's looking to talk about the latest Titan news, then this is where you need to be. And you can help me shit talk to crackheads. Because nobody likes crackheads. That is Tennessee Titans Uncensored on Facebook. Tighten up. Hey guys, you've heard us talk about Hang Ten Apparel before on the show, and if you haven't checked them out, then you're truly missing out. Hang Ten is the one place to find unique Titans gear that you will not find anywhere else. Whether it's a Maragoda hoodie, a Mahalo Etcha Boy t-shirt, or Mike Keith's Music City Miracle Call on a sweater. There are no flags on the field! It's a miracle! The only place to find it is Hang Ten. Just go to hangtn.com to find all this great gear. And while you're there, don't forget to use our promo code 2TONE to get 10% off any purchase. That's hangtn.com, the official Titan shop of 2TONE Uncensored. Tighten up. You're listening to 2TONE Uncensored, brought to you by Podbean. Hey, this is Bo Scaife. You're listening to Two-Tone Uncensored. Tighten up. 
All right, we're back from that commercial break. As promised, we're going to get into some Clemson football here and talk about some of these players coming up in the draft. Uh, great draft class that Clemson has, as I mentioned earlier. With us, we have Clemson super fan Alex Poda. Alex, excited to have you on the show with us tonight. Yeah, pleasure to be on. Uh, ready to talk some about our great draft class and our great guys coming through. So, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Yes, Obviously, Alex, a big name coming out. We'll start with the quarterback here. Uh, even though Titans aren't in a market for a quarterback, we figured we'd start with him just because one of the biggest names uh, coming out this year, Deshaun Watson, coming off a stellar season, obviously winning the national championship, uh, was a Heisman finalist two straight years, an outstanding player. The guy has a lot of tools to work with coming out, but one of the highest praises that he has gotten is his leadership and, you know, is he, how vocal he is and how he has been an example for this team to follow. Uh, obviously something that NFL teams look for as a leader. Would you say, out of this quarterback class, that Deshaun Watson is the guy that you want to get if you're looking for a true leader at the quarterback position? I think the Browns are absolutely outrageous and blasphemous to the game of football if they consider Mitch Trubisky over him. Um there's like you said, there's so many tools from Watson that we'll get into that really kind of give him that leg up. Um, actually, very comparable to the Titans' quarterback Marcus Mariota. So, you know, he's got the mobility, he's got the leadership, he's got the fourth quarter poise, he's got the big game poise, and uh, he's he's the guy that's going to lead you in a locker room as well and kind of better his teammates. Because as you all probably know, Clemson was not the more talented team in the national championship game but they still beat a much more talented team, and I think Watson was a big reason for that. One of the best college quarterbacks we've seen in, in a while. He obviously has a lot going on, but he does have some things that people are calling in the question. So I wanted to bring two of the bigger ones up um, that, that people have been talking about. Obviously, deep ball accuracy has been something that he struggled with at times, um, You know, sailing balls over top of the head of his uh, intended receiver. And then the other thing is his frame. You know, he's not a great big guy. He's a little slender for his size. Uh, how would you, Do you think those two things will affect him? And if so, how much throughout his NFL career? Uh, well, two things I laugh about for both of those things. One is everyone says he doesn't have a strong arm as well, but they complain that he overthrows the deep ball. So I find that pretty comical. Um, also, his sophomore season he was number one in the FBS for quarterback rating for balls thrown 20 yards in the air and that was without Mike Williams who fractured his neck in the first game of that season so that was throwing to guys like Arteva Scott who we'll talk about who's undersized and things like that so actually I don't think his deep ball accuracy is an issue you can see his throws to Deion Kane um, in the Louisville game Hunter Renfro against Bama last year um, a lot of throws like that and then as far as the slenderness is I don't get how they call Mitch Trubisky prototypical size when Watson measured in two fifths or two eighths of an inch shorter than him and one pound off. So um, I don't really think that the frame will be an issue. I think he actually is bigger than most people think. And I don't think people realize how much weight he put on between his sophomore and junior years because he had the knee issues, because he got a little banged up running and he put on roughly 15 pounds before his uh, true junior campaign to really kind of be suited for that bruising, for those hits, and really for um, Alabama and teams like that who 
in my opinion, basically is a professional defense. So taking that kind of beating from those top players, from Florida State defenses, from Alabama defenses, and being able to pop back up and remain poised the way he was despite being targeted by players like Ruben Foster, um, I, I think he withstands well in the NFL. I think that his deep ball is uh, a little bit better than he's given credit for. Yeah, he got a little amped up sometimes um, here and there, but, you know, we see the same things from all quarterbacks. You know, Tom Brady floats in deep balls, and he's arguably the greatest ever to play the game. So I I think it's a little nitpicky just because it is draft season and everyone's trying to look for negatives in people's games. So I, But uh, to answer the question, I do think that he'll be able to overcome any shortcomings uh, with stature and arm strength and uh, accuracy to become a successful pro quarterback. Yeah, I think honestly, man, like his his interceptions were up a little bit this year, but a lot of those throws were, were off timing routes. It's not something that um, – it's not all on him basically, but the biggest thing about Deshaun Watson is after he throws a touchdown, after he throws an interception, he's always poised. He's He's ready for big game situations. And really in the college game, he was pretty much the – best kind of leader you could have on the field. I mean, his game speaks for itself. He definitely is not perfect by any means, but I do think that um, in the right scheme, I think that somebody could definitely groom him up to be a very good NFL quarterback. Yeah, I I completely agree. And uh, to touch on those interceptions, as you can also look at a lot of his interceptions this year, were off uh, actually NFL throws where you're asked to kind of lead the receiver and throw the receiver open, for example, his first interception against Ohio State where Mike Williams actually slipped and fell. Um, He had one of those against Troy. He had some mistimed routes, miscommunications with receivers, and a lot of them, and some of them were just hell of catches. Like that first pick he threw against Auburn was one of the best catches I'd saw all year, and it was from a defensive back at Auburn. So um, I, I do think the interceptions were a little bit inflated from what they actually could have been. It's still one less than Jameis Winston had. Uh, the year before he got drafted number one overall. Um, so I think that's one thing a lot of people aren't talking about is, you know, they're saying it's such a big deal for him, but other guys like Winston and Roethlisberger and other big arm guys um, kind of didn't get that beef coming out. Good stat. I like that. You've already said you think he should be number one, uh, just given Cleveland's need. What's the farthest you can see him dropping? I I don't see him dropping out of the first round because I do think some of those teams, like if he does slip, um, you know, maybe Cleveland with the 33rd pick or uh, the Jets being, what are they, 39, I believe. Um, I think they'll kind of, if he's still around toward that end of the first round type thing, if someone like the Texans, who obviously have quarterback issues of their own, don't take him, um, I do see somebody trading into that back of the first round and getting him. So I don't think he slips past the end of the first round into the second. And if he does, I don't think he gets past the first 10 in the second round. I mean, that's about the floor for him. I'd be shocked if he got to the second round. I agree. I actually just read um, recently that the Jets are looking at him at number six. So, I mean, I pray he doesn't go to Houston, obviously, but uh, there's definitely going to be – I could see him going probably – if Cleveland stays at, at 12, I could see him going there for sure. Yeah, I've also seen that Arizona is considering him with 13 to kind of play behind Palmer for a year or two and groom him uh, with Bruce Arians, who we know did great things with Andrew Luck and resurrected Palmer's career. Um, so I do think that might be a good fit for him as well to kind of sit for a year or two. However much from a bias standpoint, I'd love to see him play right away and kind of prove everybody wrong that uh, he's good to stay. But, you know, 
if he groomed for a year or two, I think that'd be good for his career too. All right, Alex, let's move on to a guy that all three of us on the show are, are pretty fond of and, you know, has been linked to the Tennessee Titans a decent amount throughout the offseason. That's wide receiver Mike Williams coming off a spectacular season. Uh, you know, he's really demonstrated what kind of athlete he is and, a, you know, just an amazing wide receiver. <clears throat> My question, let's start off with the negative here. You mentioned earlier when we were talking about it, the neck injury um, obviously came back from that, had a great year last year. Do you think that NFL teams are going to – I'll say this way. How much weight do you think NFL teams are going to put on that neck injury? Because even though he did come back, uh, neck injuries tend to be very serious. You don't ever get minor neck injuries. So how much weight do you think that neck injury holds on the player that we're looking at? Um, I think his freak athleticism helps a bit because, you know, you, you mentioned no minor neck injuries. Peyton Manning is a perfect example of that. You know, being up in the Tennessee area, you 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 understand how big a deal he was there. And his neck injuries at age, what, 37 obviously cost him. But Mike Williams being in his low 20s, um, being a freakish athlete and really coming back this year. And you saw him take some big shots to the head this year. He took two against Alabama that both missed targeting calls, and I'm not salty about that at all. But <laughs> – you know, um, I, I, I was, yeah, <laughs> he, he, he took a lot of big hits this year and he always popped right back up. Maybe he went through some concussion protocol, went back in the game. And I, I do think that the fact that he didn't have any uh, lingering issues from it this year um, and that he played fully and he played, I believe the stat was over 75, 75% of Clemson's offensive snaps um, with the kind of depth they had too. So that was pretty impressive as well and with him running all those vertical routes. But the fact that he was game-ready every single week um, and withstood all those big hits, I think that's what NFL scouts might have been looking at this year and to see if there were any lingering issues. And obviously they'll go through it in their physicals and all that stuff. Um, but I, I don't see it being a large cause for concern right now because of the success that he had of staying healthy this year. I agree. I, I've seen a lot out of him this year especially, but, you know, every time he plays, you know, he, he, he is a difference maker. Um, if you recall watching the South Carolina game, which I'm sure you did, you know, that's, he was carrying two, two defenders on his back, you know, eight yards up the field. Like, the guy's a freak. Um, has great ability to go up and get the ball, obviously. I, in my opinion, I haven't seen much on Corey Davis. Um, people argue who's better. Some say John Ross is better just because of the speed, but – when you put it when you put it all together, I, there's no one for especially for our offense, which I'm sure you're probably not familiar with. But to have someone like that on our team for the red zone threat that uh, Mariota is, Mike Williams is a perfect fit. I completely agree. Um, cause again, I like you said, I'm not as familiar with y'all's offense, but I watched Mariota a lot in um, at, when he was at Oregon and that kind of system. I know what kind of a run threat he is for you know, maybe a pocket breakdown or something like that. And he's got good touch. And the fact of the matter is uh, there was a scout um, I read on Bleacher Report right before the uh, Clemson-Bama game that compared him to Megatron, saying that he's the closest physical specimen they've seen since Calvin Johnson coming out of Georgia Tech. Big, fast, can go up the ball. A little shaky route running, but uh, the big thing they also said was he's not near his peak yet. Um, And so he'll only continue to get better 
and you know, at six foot three and a half running a four five forty, which I know we talked uh, after that happened, and that was an outrageously good forty time for a guy who people thought was kind of slow on the ground. So he's got all the tools to be incredible. And then you saw him just embarrass Averett and Humphrey in the uh, national championship game for a few catches. And those yeah. are potential first, second round guys in the NFL. So, yeah, one thing you may not know is we actually have two first round picks. Uh, we have five and eighteen because we got one from the right. Rams last year. Um, that forty time was obviously huge. Glenn and I were actually talking before it happened. We kind of hoped he was, you know, a tad on the slow side just so maybe we could get him at 18, but I don't see him slipping. I don't know if I'm comfortable with him at five. There's any way we could trade back a few spots between nine, 10, somewhere in there. I would love to get him there. Especially because, you know, a lot of teams get quarterback hungry. So um, maybe even the Jets one spot behind may trade a spot to go up for a QB and then they get you a little, more breathing room with Williams or something, but um, definitely I do think the trade down to the eight or nine range would be ideal to get Williams there. He's, he's the, he's the full package. He's, he's an incredible receiver and just what he can do physically is awesome. And then you can even tell he can handle the volume too. In that pit game, he had 15 catches for 202 yards and not to mention he, uh, that interception Watson threw, he tracked down a, safety 75 yards downfield and he got a shoestring tackle so he's got heart too he's a very competitive guy and i think that shows up on tape too Corey davis obviously mike williams biggest competition to be the first wide receiver off of the board a lot of a lot of people out there like Corey davis better i've made it my opinion uh known that i don't have a, a very high opinion of Corey davis after seeing him play in person um but it is to be said a lot of teams have these guys rated really closely heading into the draft. So make the case of why you go with Mike Williams over Corey Davis. My case primarily is the competition that they played. Um, not to take anything away from Western Michigan in the season they had this year, but Mike Williams, in all honesty, the ACC was the top conference in college football this year. Nine and three in bowl games, 10 and three after the championship. Um, he played against Auburn, which had a you know, great defense, and he put up good numbers in his first game back from a neck injury there. He schooled Alexander in that Louisville game, who's a top corner prospect, uh, great ball hawking uh, corner. He, you know, put up good numbers against Florida State. He destroyed um, the secondary of Alabama for some big catches, and it's just he's a game-changing receiver. Corey Davis is a very good receiver. Mike Williams is a game-changing receiver, Um, and the physical tools he has plus his ability to make a 50-50 ball. People say 75-25. It's a 90-10 ball with him when you throw it up there. And I'm going to point to that um, the second play of Clemson's game when he's driving into Bama. Watson throws it up over Averett, and William just goes up and brings it down like it's absolutely nothing. Gets up, and he's ready to run like it's an NFL catch, like the guy didn't touch him for contact. You know, he's already ready for that. He's got great body control. Amazing for the fade, Um, you know his first touchdown of the year against Georgia Tech with a 6'3 corner on him, same height, goes straight up over the guy, brings it down in the corner of the end zone two feet down. He's, uh, he's, he's just a game-changing, team-changing player, and you can see how much Clemson's offense evolved with primarily the same players from that uh, championship game loss in the 15-16 season to the championship win in the 16-17 season, and he makes that kind of difference. 
Yeah, Good Mike point. Williams is definitely a game changer. Uh, like like uh, Matt said, that 40 times what sealed it for me. Uh, I was high on him anyway. He was really the only guy I wanted as a receiver in the top 10. That When he ran that 4-5, uh, he won't be quite that fast with pads on in an actual game, but he's more than fast enough. And at his size and range, and like you mentioned with his body control, we, we've got a very accurate quarterback who can put it on his back shoulder for him, and he's going to be just about unstoppable. Uh, the comparisons to Megatron, I think, are a little bit overblown, but at the same time, he's got that potential to him. He's he's got, definitely, I think, going to be the best receiver coming out of this draft class. And then um, the last thing with the body control, I think uh, seeing his ability to catch uh, those slant passes on third and shorts where he kind of basketball boxes people out, I think that's what really separates him from Corey Davis is his ability to go over the middle of the field too, not just the vertical and the back shoulder. But he's not afraid to be in that middle of the field taking hits and going down for low balls, shielding the ball where the defender has no play on it. All right, moving on here. We'll go to the defensive side of the ball for a moment. Cordray Tankersley, a very talented cornerback coming into this um, draft that is very cornerback deep, um, which is lucky for us Titans fans, obviously. We have a desperate need at the cornerback position. Uh, the first question I want to ask you about Tankersley, the guy, the first two things that come to mind when you watch this guy, when you see his tapes, uh, when you take a good look at him, is size and production. Uh, obviously coming off of a, a season where he had eight interceptions, and he's 6'1", and ran that at 4440. That's that's something obviously like. there There is some weaknesses in his game, but that size of production really opens up your eyes. How much do you think, even though he's not the most ironed-out NFL-ready corner we're going to see, how much do those two factors, the size and production, push him up the draft board, um, you know, come here in about a week? Well, I think it should push him up. And then, like you said, it's a great, great corner draft. Um, I mean, in any other draft class, he'd be a top three corner. I, I think that's safe to say. In any other draft class, he's probably a first-round pick. But with how many great corners there are on this one, they're looking at him second, third, fourth round. But he does have the good size, which is going to be good to match up with top receivers. Um, he's got great speed. And like you said, good production. You saw uh, he sealed the game with that interception against Virginia Tech that sent Clemson to the playoff. Um, so he's also a big-time player. Um, I think he's more game-ready than people think he is. Uh, his first year as a starter, which was his junior season, um, McKenzie Alexander, who got drafted by the Vikings last year, he was a great corner. He only had the ball thrown to him on 7% of throws. So everybody was attacking Tankersley, who was a first-year starter. And that's where he started putting up his big production. Um, and actually, he had a big interception that game against North Carolina that year in the AFC title. So he's been in those moments. He's been the weak link. He's been picked on. And that's kind of forced him to evolve as a player and become productive and become a ball hawk. And uh, I think he's arguably the best man-to-man corner in the draft. You make a great point about him evolving. Um Obviously, great size, great speed. He ran a 440. Uh, he's in big games, he's made big plays, and obviously, that's the thing that stands out for most people. One thing I'll say negatively about him is um, in most cases, when he's when he knows that he kind of gets lost when the ball's in the air, and instead of trying to track it down, he will throw body contact and uh, get the flag thrown on him. Now, he's, he's done that quite a few times um, that I've noticed since he's been there. 
but I think he's got so much more room to grow. And I think with his size and speed and his playmaking ability, I definitely see him going at latest, I would say mid second round. Yeah. Um, and I, I'd agree with that contact uh, point, you know, Clemson as a whole defense had an issue with defensive pass interference this year. That's why we lost to Pittsburgh. We got nine defensive holding or pass interference calls and probably two of them were legitimate. And again, still not salty. Um, but he got, I think, three of them in that game. And, uh, you know, he's he's a great player, but his, like you said, his, um, it's not his instinct, but his awareness sometimes dips. And I think that's hopefully his next level of uh, involvement. And um, with maybe a good defensive coach, he can kind of develop that and be a little bit better. And I don't know how Brent Venables coaches his guys. Maybe he tells them if you're going to get beat deep, just commit the flag because it's only 15 yards. In the NFL, that can cost you 40 yards. So yeah. that is a that is a major concern um, for him, but it's one I do think worth taking for the physical tools that you get. You know, how much would the Panthers at this point last year have been salivating to get that kind of corner instead of, I don't remember who the hell they drafted, but it was some nobody instead of, you know, a proven corner because the guy they wanted got taken the pick before and there was no depth at that position. So um, it's it's just interesting, and uh, I, I think a team, like you said, maybe mid-second round, early third round, lucky to get them. Yeah, the uh, the point about taking the penalty, that's what made Josh Norman so good is why he never got just smoked deep a lot, is when he was with Carolina, he was free to take that penalty, so he would, he would commit the penalty rather than get burned for a touchdown. In Washington, you know, he didn't have such a great year this year because – I don't know if they don't allow him that freedom or he just couldn't get his hands on the guy in order to commit the penalty. But uh, that, that's a great point that committing the penalty in college and taking the 15 yards instead of getting just burned for a touchdown, it's a very smart thing to do. Yeah, I'm just curious to know whether it is a coaching thing that they tell him to do that or if it is a play flaw, maybe a combination, who knows. But we're not in their meeting rooms, so we can't know for sure. Just all speculation for that. All right, let's move on from Tankersley here to a defensive teammate. That's big old Carlos Watkins, uh, you know, coming in at 6'3", 309 pounds. A big boy there. Uh, was a productive, successful guy with his time at, at Clemson. Where do you see – this one's been hard for me uh, when I'm doing my mock drafts is where I think Watts, Watkins is going to go because he's not as explosive – and you know, as you might like, but he he has the size, he's athletic, um, you know. But I don't know. The production says you should be a little bit more forward, but when you look at comparatively, might be dropping back. So where do you think we'll see Carlos Watkins get drafted? Um, I think we'll see him mid to late second round. He should be late first round. Um, I think he gets overlooked a lot because of Dexter Lawrence, who. In two years, we may be talking about as the number one overall pick. Uh, they play side-by-side, and he's a huge freshman. But um, Carlos Watkins, on a team that led the country this year, Clemson's defense led the country in tackles for loss. He led the team in tackles for loss. Um, he also led the team in percentage of snaps played. So you know he's actually very fit for a guy who's 309 pounds. He was in the game almost all the time with a very deep defensive line rotation. Um my lasting memory of him was I was at the Clemson-Notre Dame game two years ago in that hurricane, and on that two-point conversion, I was sitting looking down that um, goal line, and big old Carlos Watkins uh, takes two offensive linemen and chest flies them 
into the uh, into uh, Deshaun Kaiser to bring him down for the game winning tackle. And uh, that that pure strength that he has, I think, um, is just important. He's a little bit smaller than Vince Wilfork, um, but he's a lot more athletic than Vince Wilfork. Uh, but he kind of clogs that middle in the same kind of way on that run defense. And I think he's been productive at uh, batting balls down at the line and at pass uh, breakups and pass rushing as well. Um, and he's got very good lane discipline. Um, Oftentimes when quarterbacks broke contained, they broke more toward the side of either Austin Bryant, Cleveland Farrell, and Dexter Lawrence, the more inexperienced players, where he kind of has that discipline to not get beat. So I, I do think he's a little bit undervalued because of the other defensive linemen that Clemson's put out in those past years with Vic Beasley, who, in my opinion, was the best defensive player in the league this year. Um, Shaq Lawson was great, and you know we're cranking out Andre Branches and you know a lot of quality. Um, players, you know, um, Grady Jarrett set the Super Bowl sack record this year. Um, and so I do think he gets overshadowed because of the defense alignment at Clemson and that have been produced recently. I agree with Ryan as far as where he's going to go uh, time-wise. I would guess somewhere maybe mid to late second, early third, somewhere in that range. Um Best way to describe him, in my opinion, is probably just just very active. He's always got his hands up, like you said, crazy athletic. Um, he kind of he kind of shows up, you know, out of nowhere. Like you said, he plays next to Dexter Lawrence, who is a beast. That guy is is a true freshman who came on day one. Carlos shattered because of him, and I think that um, somebody's going to get a good D tackle out of him. I think he's more of a good situ- situational player as opposed to a three down guy. But I do think that um, somewhere in the second to third round, I think somebody's going to get a good D-tackle. Yeah, I think he'll be looked at as one of the better values. Um, I think a lot of these Clemson defenders will be looked back as better values. Not maybe the best players, but the best value as far as where they get selected and the production they give. So Carlos Watkins, I do think, fits that mold too. And his uh, NFL comparison is uh, uh, Sylvester Williams, who's a guy that – yeah, Titans brought in from the Denver Broncos this offseason. Uh, like like you said, he's he's an active player. You know, Matt brought up that he's really good about getting his hands into the passing lanes. Uh, good backside cuts. Obviously, needs a little bit of work on just techniques and developing secondary moves uh, when his first one doesn't work. But definitely, you know, a, a good player, someone you can help build a defensive line around. And will be like you guys said, a good value if he goes, you know, third round. Second round is probably about where he belongs. So if you get him in the third, you did really good for yourself. Yeah, for sure. Um, and his motor is very good too. You know, you see him trailing plays a lot, even after he goes away from. You see him bringing up the rear and preventing cutbacks. So I do think that's another thing that you kind of, if you watch Clemson's games this last year, you see big old Carlos Watkins trailing the play, even if he's not going to make a play. So. The one thing about Watkins that worries me going to the next level is a lot of that weight is north of the belt line. Uh, you know, he, he kind of can get a little top heavy. Um, his legs not nearly as big as you would expect for a guy that's you know uh, uh, pretty solidly over that three hundred pound mark. And when you have a guy like that, normally when they get to the NFL, they have the tendency to you know get to play too high and get pushed around by physical guards. Do you think that's going to be a problem for Watkins? 
I think it could be early on. Um, but again, uh, he, he faced um, Ronnie Staley and Nick Martin, um, both of whom he took down for that game-winning play against Notre Dame. So he has played against good offensive guards. He wasn't as consistent in that game, so I do think you kind of see that issue. He does play a little high. He does stand up a little much. And he relies on his upper body strength too much. Um, and guys who get good leg leverage can really take advantage of that. So I, I do think uh, strength staffs will have to focus on developing his lower body a little more, technique-wise developing that leg drive a little more. And, you know, maybe third year he starts playing a little bit lower, a little bit stronger down there, becomes – um, even a better value, you know, if he if he continues to improve and develop that part. All right, let's move on here uh, to Jordan Leggett. This is a guy that, and maybe not everybody I would say is is for very familiar. He's not a household name for sure, but is a talented football player. Um, someone that really came to my, um, you know, into my universe first because of. Matt being a homer, but uh, I learned more about the kid, watched more of his tape, and he is a talented kid. Another thing, just like we were talking about Tankersley, very talented tight end, stuck in a very deep draft class at his position. So that being said, how far do you think we're going to see Leggett drop in this draft? Well, that's an interesting question because tight ends are being valued very differently now. You know, Rob Gronkowski was a third-round pick, I think. Um, and, and, you know, they've been just valued more in the last couple of years, so I still don't know where the actual draft position for them is. I've seen people talking about O.J. Howard possibly going top five, um, which I think is outrageous for a tight end. But if you get a guy who's like Gronkowski or Jimmy Graham when he's with the Saints, then, yeah, it's worth top five production. So I'm, I'm not quite sure where tight ends fit in. Um, I do think he has holes in his game that are going to make him maybe the fourth or fifth tight end taken. Um, I do think he'll go in front of Jake Butt, who blew out his ACL. Um, but, you know, he, he's, he's another kind of guy. He's, he's clutch. That's, that's the only way to say it is he, he appears in big games. They utilize his skill set in mismatches when they need to. Um, you know, he had the game winner against, um, against Florida State, against Louisville. Um, he had that huge catch to show his range of motion, which scouts say is an issue. Uh, to set up the game-winning touchdown against Bama. Um, so he's he's a very, very talented player, but he's not very good at run blocking. He never had to. They used him as a big receiver on the inside, and I think that's going to hurt his stock quite a bit. Is um, He's basically a third-down guy right now, and until he develops into a better blocker, I don't think he'll go anywhere. I Maybe late third, fourth round, um, because – he is an explosive offensive player, but he's not going to give you any help in the run game, um, except maybe being a decoy going into the flat for a run-pass option. So he's, uh, he's yeah. got some holes that definitely need improvement. Yeah, he, he really hurt himself. You know, th- this is not the year for him to be coming out because he, he does rise up. Uh, and he meets the occasion in big games. But he also, you know, he's admitted that he doesn't get worked up for just the average game or someone they should beat. And that's not what NFL coaches want to see. They don't want to have to tell this guy that you actually need to be playing all 16 games. Uh, yep. It's it's not the great year for him. Uh, it, it's going to hurt his draft stock, obviously, but he's got the ability. He's got that potential. Uh, like you said, once he improves his uh, run blocking a little bit and can show that he's going to be invested in the whole game 
and not just, you know, collecting a paycheck some weeks and then other weeks going out there because he's on Monday Night Football and trying to be a star. If he can clear <laughs> those things up, he's he's got a chance to do something in this league. Uh, yeah, I agree. The key stat for him, if I'm looking at him as a GM, is for his career, he averaged 17.1 yards per catch. So he's he's down the field. He's beating safeties with his size. Um, and he's making runs after the catch. So, I mean, he's uh, he's going to get you chunk yardage, but if you can make him more consistent day-to-day, week-to-week, game-to-game, season-to-season, uh, that's that's when he'll be either a good tight end in the league or kind of, you know, flounder out after his rookie contract. Yeah. I think a fourth-round projection is pretty fair. I'm not very high on Leggett, to be completely honest. I think that he takes games off more often than not. He's shown up in huge situations where we needed him. And the biggest thing to describe him in my in my mind is uh, inconsistent. I don't think he, like you said, he doesn't show up for the games where just because we should beat somebody, he, he thinks he doesn't need to come to play. Um, definitely not the case in the NFL. I think that um, he's going to struggle early on for sure in the NFL. I don't know. I don't want him on on the Titans just because I've seen him play um, consistently or inconsistently in this case. But I've I've seen him week to week, and he he's just you don't know which Jordan Leggett you're getting. And in the NFL, you can't do that. Background wise, size wise, athleticism wise, though he does remind me of Jimmy Graham coming out, where a lot of people didn't know about him because he's a former basketball player. Um, he was recruited more for basketball than football. He didn't really have a position coming to Clemson. He kind of got moved around. You know, they tried him on defensive end and then, you know, settled in at tight end. Um, so he's he's got all the raw tools. But, yeah, I, I agree, I think. I don't know. Um, as selecting players, I love Leggett because of what he did for Clemson the last couple of years. He was a great player for Clemson when we needed him to be. But um, I, I wouldn't trust him uh, being uh, an integral part of a pro team. Which is fair, definitely. I, I don't. I, I like him personally as a kid. You know, he's not. He's not a bad guy. It's just that I've seen so many times where we needed him, and he just he just didn't show up. And for all the good he did, which you know he definitely made his mark at Clemson. Personally, would rather take a lot of other guys than him in the fourth round. Personally. Yeah, agreed. But uh, moving on, uh, Wayne Gauman definitely had his his share of. Uh, high and lows at Clemson with, with Wayne Gallman coming out in this class, I think maybe with his height being six foot um, two fifteen, he ran a four, six, which isn't, you know, great for a running back, but not, not bad. I see him sort of as, you know, in that right around where Jordan Leggett would go somewhere in around the third, maybe fourth, fourth round. Uh, what do you think about Wayne Gallman? First of all, I think he should have gone back to school for his last year. He had one year of eligibility left. I think he would have been better off starting a graduate degree at Clemson and playing for another season to develop his run blocking, or I'm sorry, his pass blocking, and um, his footwork within the uh, line of scrimmage and within the hole for his north-south running. That being said, he's the toughest runner in the country. Um, You know, he's he's not not the best runner. He's the toughest runner. He's, he's He's the guy who he looks like he doesn't think he can physically be tackled, but he runs with that kind of purpose. 
his only fumble in his two and a half years as a starter was when he was literally knocked out against NC State, which again, targeting, should have been targeting. Um, and he was literally knocked out and he dropped the ball. That's his only fumble in two and a half years as a starter um, outside of the uh, messed up exchange between him and Watson against Alabama. So he's got good ball security. He's a physical runner. Um, he needs better awareness. Um, he's not, he doesn't have breakaway speed, but he's, he's a very tough guy, and you can't teach that. So I, I do think he'd be deserving of that kind of fourth-round area. But with how running backs kind of work in the draft, what I've seen the last couple of years is they take the top ones really high, and they take everybody else sixth and seventh round. So I do think he'll end up being in that fifth to seventh range. Um, I think somebody's going to get a good locker room guy, a good practice guy, and maybe a guy that earns some carries by midseason when uh, some health issues start coming around for the team. Goldman is a, uh, you know, he's a bull in a china shop. He's a guy that just he bursts through the offensive line, um, you know, physical. He's a big guy, and he even runs bigger than he actually is when you watch him on tape. You know, you look at the guy, and you're like, oh, man, he's that kid's 230 easily, and he's, you know, more towards the 215 area. Um, big physical runner. The one big thing that I've noticed in watching tape on him is he sometimes gets impatient, doesn't wait uh, for the block where he could have gotten more yards, just doesn't have great vision. Do you think that, uh, you know, how much does that, or uh, we'll start with, do you agree with uh, that assessment, and how much do you think that affects his ability to play at the next level? I hate to agree with it, but I do. Um, there were a lot of times where, you know, the guard was pulling about to set a block and Gallman was like, you know what, screw this. I'll take this defender on on my own. And he gets tackled after a three yard gain compared to had he gotten the block possibly could have gone the distance. Um, I do think that's going to hurt him. Um, I do think that that is something a lot of other running backs in this draft class, again, a good running back draft class too, really underrated, um, position in the draft nowadays, but a good draft class, you know, with McCaffrey and cook and, Fournette and Pomfrey and all these guys. So again, he's going to move back due to the strength of the class. Um, but he does need to be a little more patient. And then honestly, on those third and ones and fourth and ones, he gets overly patient. Um, this is something I watched as a fan all year where his sophomore season, he was like, you know what, screw it. I'm going to run straight up the middle. I'm going to tackle my own offensive line and I'm going to get that first down. Whereas this year, he almost looked like he was trying to prove he was patient on those short yardage instead of just picking up the first down and moving on to first and 10. He would kind of try to dance at the hole a little bit too long and get tackled for a loss. Um, it was well chronicled the struggles we had on fourth and one. Again, it showed up our loss to pit. We pitched to the outside um, and he didn't follow his blocks and he got tackled short. We ended up losing on the game winning field goal by pit. So it's uh it is an issue, and it is going to hurt his draft stock, and it is going to be nitpicked by every team that interviews him, every team that works him out, and uh, every team that watches his tape. Yeah, definitely. And honestly, you, you probably don't remember who I'm talking about, but his body type reminds me a lot of uh, former Titan Chris Brown, just the way he runs, same running style. Um, you know, we, we were able to get a, a good year, maybe two years out of Chris Brown, but the way I saw it last year, he definitely declined in his production. Like you said, he hesitated a lot. Uh, we weren't able to get the, the fourth down and, and short uh, yardage. But, I mean, 
the year prior, I mean, he was, we were talking about the Wayne train and it was, everybody was, was hyped up about him. And I definitely think he should have came back and played another year, but you know, he chose to come out. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's one of those guys where you get enamored a lot of times with guys that are really quick, really nice feet and they get to the NFL and they're not mentally there. And Goldman at least, you know, is going to be physical and just run hard for you every single day. And you can't teach that. So I, I do think that that's uh that's a really big pro for him. And then also he had the issues this year. Um, Clemson, I think was 105th in the FBS, uh, something around that range. They was really bad. It was in the bottom 25 in the FBS in yards before contact. So we did have a lot of offensive line issues, which is why Watson's uh, throws per game was significantly higher than the year before, which also has to do with his interceptions because he threw so much more, but um a, a lot of the struggles he had this year weren't necessarily his fault. They were no one blocked, you know. We we didn't have a good running game until we played Georgia Tech, and everyone saw how they ended their season. They weren't very good. It was mediocre at best, and our offensive line really didn't give him a lot of chances to show his running potential this year. Um, moving on, though, another true junior that's going out early who I would have loved to see stay. Uh, wide receiver Artavis Scott. Scott reminds me a lot of a guy that we just saw leave town in Kendall Wright. I think he's almost got the exact same size. He's 5'10", 193, uh, ran a 4'6". He's he's a lot quicker than he is fast, and I think that shows up on his film. Uh, he's made a lot of screenplays for us. He's a real quick, shifty guy. I could see him go into a team where somewhere like New England where he would have a lot of success, but you got to put him in the right system because as we know personally with Kendall, Wright, um, if you don't use them properly, it's not going to work out for him. Yeah. It's uh, it's funny you bring up new England for that. Cause my pro comparison that I personally did for him was Julian Edelman um, guy who's shiftier than he is fast. And uh, this goes a lot in that mold. Like you said, screens, but I'm even going to the jet sweeps um, his freshman year uh, when Clemson was trying to end that five year losing streak to South Carolina and he took those two jet sweeps, followed some blockers, made a couple moves in the hole, and took off down the sideline um, for touchdowns. And he's he's got that kind of shiftiness, that kind of um, I'm going to pick up eight yards when I should get three type of footwork. Um, and I, I think that's an important thing for him. I also agree he should come back for another year, really worked on his precise route running, um, really worked on his ability to play against – more physical corners because, like you said, he's small and undersized. So if people throw up his timing hit issues. But at the end of the day, you do have to look at he's the all-time leading receptions leader at a school that has guys like Sammy Watkins, DeAndre Hopkins, um, Aaron Kelly, who a lot of people don't remember, um, and a lot of good good receivers, especially recently, that have gone through that school. And he, he leads all of them in catches, and he's very sure-handed. And, and that's why is uh, I think he was trusted on, on a lot of third downs. He was trusted to make moves after the catch. And he even has a better jump ball than people give him credit for. Um, Oklahoma last year uh, in the 15-16 season, he made a beautiful jump ball on a long third down to uh, lead to our first touchdown in that game. So it's uh, he, he's, he is better than advertised. I don't think he should have left this year. I get that he'd already graduated. Also, he's a smart guy, graduated in three years. Um, so good football IQ, I assume. But, again, could have benefited from coming back another year. Probably goes 
probably again that fourth, fifth round range. Yeah, with his yeah. speed, he's a guy who definitely needed to put some more on tape first. Yeah, for sure. He had a much better freshman, and then he had a really good sophomore year when Mike Williams was injured. But then he kind of showed he's not very good at being that kind of supporting role. And he's not a guy in the NFL that's going to be your go-to guy. So he, he really needed to show a little bit more in that regard, I think. Well, um, you know, being drafted as late as we expect him to be drafted, uh, you need to make a big deal. You need to, sorry, you need to make plays on special teams. Do you think that is going to be something um, that Scott can do in order to guarantee his spot on the team for a couple of years while he develops? He's the reason we won the national championship. I'm going to be very honest. We were not going to be at Louisville had Arteva Scott not taken that kickoff return almost to the house. Um, he set us up, again, for Justin Jordan-Legged heroics. Um, and he, he did that. He also played in some punt coverage sometimes. He played on some kickoff coverage, made some good tackles. Um, so he's very willing. He's very able. He's a good punt returner. We benched Ray Ray McLeod last year, who was flashier for the more sure-handed Scott who got yards. Um, and, again, that goes back to, you know, Wes Welker with the Patriots. Again, another small guy, sure-handed. Wasn't very fast, but they put him in on punt returns because he was very sure-handed, wasn't going to fumble, and can make a few moves. So I, I do think special teams are the place he can make a living while he develops, while he works with quarterbacks on rhythm, while he works on maybe even beefing up a little bit and works on his route running. Safety, Jadar Johnson, uh, one knock on him that, that most people will say is that he only has one-year experience. He's also made some pretty big plays this past season, and he's played behind some pretty good safeties in uh, T.J. Green and, and J. Ron Kirsch. Um, Jadar is probably going to be a later-round draft pick, maybe sixth or seventh, but what do you like about Jadar? I like his ball, uh, ball production, his um, ability to go to the ball, make plays. He honestly reminds me of Malik Hooker, who's being discussed as a top 10 pick this year. Also, his commitment, I think, is a, is a big deal. Um, he's a very committed guy. He gave a speech at the National Championship Ceremony uh, in Death Valley about um, how he wanted to, you know, transfer to SC State, which was his hometown in Orangeburg. And then Dabo talked him into saying, you know, you'll get your time. Just keep putting in the work. You'll get your time. And I think that'd be an, an invaluable asset as a pro as well um, to keep developing until he gets his time and keep getting better until he gets his time. He's relatively fast. He's got long arms. He's strong. He put up uh, 19 reps on the bench despite only being about 210 pounds. He's very instinctful. He made some big plays. Got a lot of swats. He's a very good safety near the line of scrimmage. Um, so, again, I think another one of those undervalued guys where, again, one year starting for a court or for a safety puts you in the sixth round, but one year starting – as a quarterback, makes you Mitch Trubisky being looked at as the first overall pick. So right. I don't really understand how people can nitpick <clears throat> his experience while they're saying Trubisky is a god who's you know born from the Virgin Mary. So <laughs> it's a little bit interesting, that dynamic. But I, I think he's a lot better um, than that one season. And a lot of that is, you mentioned Curse and Green were great safeties at Clemson, and you know he's behind them. So it's... Uh, it was tough for him to get in there, but he made the most of this year and was very integral to their run. Two things I wanted to bring up with him is another guy that has, 
you know, some experience playing special teams that, you know, is going to help him extend his career in the NFL, obviously. And another thing is, uh, this guy really blew me away in the the Shrine game practices and leading up, and he played well in the game as well. Um, a lot of scouts are taking that as one of the best positives for him, is in those practices, he was stellar. You know, he was... Um, helping other guys figure out coverages. He was helping other guys figure out the plays. He was where he needed to be every single time, um, you know, in the right position at the right time. Really had some outstanding practices. How much do you think that's going to elevate him uh, in this draft? I I think he has a good chance to because, again, that's against the top seniors available. That's, you know, that's, that's a big deal. And then it's also with NFL coaches who get that close up look. And I think those stellar practices will kind of get around and just show, you know, he's a lot better than what we're giving him credit for. Um, and I, I think it could really boost him up maybe a full round or so. But, again, he'll still go middle to end of draft. So it's uh, another one of those guys where we may look back if he uh, develops the way that he should um, to being a really good value pick. Yeah, definitely. I agree. Uh, next up, man, I already know where you're going to go with this, but I'm just going <laughs> to try to try to downplay him a little bit because I, I understand what you're about to say. And I agree with you for the most part, but Ben Bulaware, uh, obviously the biggest thing with him is, is his heart, his leadership. He doesn't have the prototypical size though. Do you think he's going to be able to overcome? And I don't want to say he's a three down guy. I, I do think he could have a long career in the league, but he just, He's got a lot to overcome physically as far as the size goes. But, I mean, you know as well as I do, that guy is somebody you want on the field on your team. I mean, we all saw it. Well, he was a little bit underlooked um, coming out of Anderson High School as well. Um, You know, he's from Anderson, uh, South Carolina, right near Clemson. A little bit overlooked. He didn't start until his junior year. He played some in the rotation his sophomore year. So in two years as a starter and some playing time behind Stephon Anthony, again, first-round pick, another great player that he was behind, he had 325 tackles in two years as a starter and then some playing time as a sophomore, 325. In that time, that's the most in the country. So his production's there. The tape is there. The instinct, incredible. There was um, twice in that Alabama game where he – you saw him pre-snap dissect the play and shift the defense, and he was in the backfield making the play, including what should have been the game-clinching drive until we let them get 15 yards on third and 16. But he put them in that position by diagnosing that play, getting in the backfield, blowing it up. His instincts are incredible. His game experience is incredible. His intangibles, incredible. And this year, he had five double-digit tackle games, which was, I think, the third most in the country, including 18 in the game against Louisville, which was, in my opinion, the most hyped game of the regular season in the ACC um, because they just come off that big win off Florida State. Um, and he showed up, and, you know, th- those were – he had three sacks on Lamar Jackson, who, you know, people are claiming is incredible religious comings. And then he's also got better athleticism than I think people give credit for. Take that one-handed interception he had against uh, Baker Mayfield in the playoffs uh, two years ago. And I'd like to um, include that he did give Mayfield a concussion on the return of that interception, which 
I'm not going to say I was happy about it, but I'm not a big Baker Mayfield fan. So, um, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, he's, he's a brute. He's awesome. He's the guy I want in my locker room, and he's the guy I'm going to take. He's probably, I don't know, third or fourth linebacker off the board, in my opinion, outside of the guys who are just flat out better than him, like Reuben Foster. Once you take those, uh, you know, obvious guys who are better than him, if there's any doubt, like if you're looking at bowlware and another guy, and you don't know Bowler's the guy, easily. So, and his production's there, and I, I think he can have that same production in the NFL. Not great in coverage sometimes, so I do think he's maybe a first, second down guy. But you know, maybe that develops. You know, the big thing that's going to be talked about is you know size and quickness, because obviously, like everything that you can't measure. This guy obviously has, you know, that normally ends up being the problem. It's like, oh, well, he's, you know, he's strong, he's fast, but is he a leader? Um, you know, does he love the game? Those kind of stuff. You, everybody knows that it's there with Ben Bulware. The problem is the stuff you can measure is not quite there. This puts the margin for error for him very, very, very small. That's my worry with him is that size and quickness, you know, might limit his ability to ever be a starter. Do you think – he will be a starter in the NFL. Yeah, by a second year, um, I, I would think, and I do think a lot of that. What he doesn't have in the quickness, because obviously, you know, you measure the shuttle drills and the cone drills and all that. And yeah, he's, he's not as quick, but he's always in the right spot. And if you watch his tape, he's always at the ball. Like if there's a pile, he's there. If there's a tackle, he's there. If someone's forcing a fumble, he's there. If you know someone's tipping a pass, he's there. And his game IQ and his game recognition. I think puts him in the right places probably 99% of the time to easily make up for his shortcomings. And um, he's, he's a very aggressive guy and he's a very aggressive linebacker. And that kind of, he's in my opinion, the best, probably the second best run stopping linebacker in, in, in the draft behind Ruben Foster, who's a freak. So um, just his, his instincts and his game study his tape study and his ability to recognize plays shift the defense. And he can kind of be that guy that, you know, that defensive captain type role where you're marching around the positions, maybe by his fourth or fifth year. Um, once he kind of earns his stripes a little bit, but he's an incredibly cerebral player. And you can tell that again, just watch his game against Alabama where he's directing the defense before every play while Steve Sarkeesian is trying to outthink Venables. Bulwer is outthinking both of them. So it's it's really neat to see his film study translate to him being always around the football diagnosing plays. Yeah, my, my question with him is going to be if he can actually crack a starting lineup on a permanent basis. I, I think he'll get some starts right. in there, but I think he's going to be more of a rotational linebacker. You know, if somebody gets hurt, he'll get some time. But uh, I just he's got all of the intangibles, the, the measurables are good. They're they're going to hurt him at the NFL level where it's a, it's a game of milliseconds and inches. And if you're, you're a millisecond too slow, that guy could be gone for, you know, big yards. And it's just, it's going to be a bouncing act, putting him in the right system. someone getting the right fit, giving him a chance to succeed. Cause I don't think there's much more. He needs to learn about the game so much as he's just going to have to find what his skill set level is in the NFL and play around that. Yep, I agree. I think uh, his comparison, he's, I think he's a better version of Manti Teo, who's had some decent seasons with the Chargers. But um, another undersized guy who lacked the quickness 
but I, I think he's a more instinctive, better man type Teo. So I do think he could hopefully prove that at the next level. But like you said, may, maybe if uh, if those shortcomings, those milliseconds and inches can be a big difference with some of the best athletes in the world. So that could hurt him. And hopefully he doesn't have an internet girlfriend that's actually a dude. <laughs> <laughs> that that could help a little bit, you know. But <laughs> yeah, listen, I love his heart. I love his intensity. Great leader, obviously. But the the NFL game is is another level, and I don't know that he has. Obviously, speed is is his main crack on him, basically. But I, I honestly see him as as a situational guy who can have a a long you know eight year career not being a starting linebacker, but filling in where, where he's needed and being a situational guy where I think he can do very well. But I don't see him as a, you know, a, a every down NFL linebacker. I just know, and um, y'all, again, as Titans people will know this, I, I just know that Bullware was five for five on solo tackles on Derrick Henry in the National Championship game two years back. So I know <laughs> he, can, he can bang with the biggest people. You know, Henry's bigger than most defensive linemen. So um, if Bulwark can solo tackle that guy five out of five times without having to use the dreads to grab onto, I, I, I think he's, uh, he's a good enough tackler at least to be in the league. And then, yeah, hopefully that athleticism can uh, cannot let him down. Interesting stat there. Good pool. I did not know that. You know, a guy that's really easy to like. Uh, and, you know, we all hope the best for him, obviously. That's about all we have, though. Thanks a lot for coming on, Alex. You provided a lot of insight, a lot of really good stuff there. So big thank you for coming on to the show. Yeah, I very much appreciate y'all having me. I enjoyed it. That was Alex Poda giving us great insight to this Clemson draft class, as we said. Very good. One of the best draft classes coming out. So a lot to look for. A lot of potential Titans on this list, guys. A lot of guys that we could end up seeing in two-tone blue. Um, And we'll see how all that pans out on April 27th. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the show. Thanks to my great co-hosts, as always. As always, remember to check out hang10.com. That's H-A-N-G-T-N.com for the best and most unique Titans apparel. You can only find their stuff there. You can't find it anywhere else. So if you're looking for some different stuff, definitely check them out. They have some really great stuff. That's all we have for this week. Be sure to check us out next week. We're going to be doing our draft preview. That's the last show before the NFL draft, so be sure to check it out. We're going to have mock drafts, a lot of stuff to look forward to next week, so definitely check it out. And uh, that's it. Tighten up. Yeah, fucking fucks. (laughs) (laughs) I'm ready to watch Matt lay some wood, I guess. Or watch Matt watch. I just I'm said I'm not play. laying the wood, Glenn. I'm going to let him lay the wood. He said he was going to lay right. back and take the wood. I never said anything. <laughs> you keep your fantasies to yourself. Wh- whatever Matt does <laughs> when he watches other guys lay wood is up to Matt, you know? Yeah. I Listen. Teach their own, I guess. Thanks for listening to the Two Town Uncensored podcast. You can listen to the show at twotownuncensored.podbean.com or by downloading the Podbean app on your mobile device. Be sure to follow the show on Twitter at Two Tone Uncensored and like us on Facebook.